Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I too want to welcome you here to Center Street Church and to our central campus here at this location this morning. Welcome to all of you worshiping online with us as well. And um, boy, what an amazing, beautiful May long weekend we've had that, from what I understand, is so unusual. We should be getting snow or sleet or something, but uh, maybe it'll happen now, I guess, eh? But um, so welcome here this morning. I have a question to ask you as we start this morning. How many of you forgot to phone your mom on Mother's Day last Sunday? Maybe that's an unfair question to ask in a room like this. Um, but I'll be the first to confess, I forgot to phone my mom on Mother's Day. Can you believe that? So throw tomatoes or your phone or your Bible or whatever. <laughs> Just let me have it. Um, <clears throat> I was shocked myself. I had good intentions, you know, to call her. But we all know that good intentions don't get us anywhere, really. And uh, on Monday, I kind of woke up and I thought, I did not call my mom. Oh, no. So I phoned her and we had a good conversation and I apologized profusely. But why is it that we forget things that are important to us? Why do we forget things that are, that are important to us? Why do we forget where we put our wallet, where we put our phone? Maybe you forgot to pick up your kids from a, an appointment or something at some point. Um, we forget a meeting, an important meeting. We forget to pack what we need going on vacation or a work trip or something like that. Um, Here's some of the top things that people forget, right? People sometimes walk into a room and they forgot why they even walked into the room in the first place. They forget what they, were, what they wanted. Forget where you put your keys, right? That happened to me just this past week. I've always put my keys in this one spot. On Thursday, I was looking around like crazy for my keys, could not find them, and they're in my jacket pocket. We forget our keys. We, sometimes you might uh, forget someone's name, when you're trying to introduce them to someone else. How awkward is that? Um, you forget to respond to an email, forget if you have milk in the fridge. Do you have milk in the fridge or don't you have milk in the fridge? You're thinking. Some of you might forget when you leave this place where you parked your car. You might not remember where exactly it is. This happens to us. Um, you would be surprised about how many things you leave behind in this room when you leave here, right? We find phones and purses and jackets and scarves and hats and all sorts of stuff from you all when you leave this place. You forget it in this room. We forget things that are important to us, forget things that are necessary. And when we forget, sometimes it can be so frustrating, it can definitely be embarrassing. But sometimes our forgetting gets us into real trouble at times because we forget about God. We can forget about God. In one person's opinion, the greatest sin is to forget God. And when you think about it, if you take all of what is included in Scripture that the Bible would call sin and you put it under one big gigantic umbrella, you could perhaps call it all forgetting God. Forgetting about God. About three years ago, there was a lady who began coming to our church. She was uh, Curious about Christ, curious about the Christian faith, had questions, and she met some folks, and they started answering her questions that she had about faith in Jesus Christ, and 
over a short period of time, she came to place her faith and trust in Jesus Christ as her Savior. She began to serve and involved in community, began to grow. And then after a period of time, unfortunately, she began to forget about God. And so much so that she eventually rejected the Christian faith, walked away from what she believed to be true, and um, rejected Jesus Christ as her Savior. She's not involved in Christian community any longer. And you know what? It is possible for us, if we forget so much about God, that we may end up at some point walking away from God completely because we've forgotten about Him. Or at times we forget about God in certain aspects of our life and we can fall into patterns of sin. Or at times we can forget about God and our lives suddenly are shifted and changed to where we are not living the abundant, joy-filled, vibrant, amazing Christian life that Jesus died for us to live, that the Bible talks about. See, we can forget about God. David writes Psalm 103. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. David writes Psalm 103 with one clear purpose, with one clear intent in mind, and that is that we would not forget about God, that we would remember God, who he is and what he's done, that we would never forget. So I want us in a few moments here to read all 22 verses of Psalm 103. We're going to do that, but first I want to make some general comments about Psalms in general, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is made up of 150 unique separate songs. And these songs were, were to lead God's people in praise and worship and confession of sin. These 150 songs and prayers express the heart and soul of humanity. They pour out honesty before God, true feelings before God. They confess sin. They express doubts and fears and are amazing songs of worship and praise to God. These songs, the authors cry out to God for help. But most of all, these psalms, these songs that are written, all 150 of them, they, they express the author's passionate, life-changing, vibrant, powerful relationship with God in a very personal and real way. And that's true of Psalm 103. This psalm was written by David who same David who killed Goliath, who was a mighty warrior, who became king, who was an author, poet, songwriter, musician, who sinned, who confessed his sin. And at the end of his life, and even today, David is known as a man who pursued God, who was a man after God's own heart. And this psalm is unique in one sense because David writes this psalm to himself. He addresses himself, my soul. It's almost like David is preaching to himself. He's teaching, he's instructing, he's challenging, he's reminding himself. He's reminding his emotions, his will, his heart, his intellect about God. He's essentially saying, self, know these things. Don't forget these things. Remember these things. Keep these things at the forefront of your mind, self. He's talking to himself. And often we need to do that. Otherwise we forget. So stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to read Psalm 103. So, Heavenly Father, as we read your ancient words, that you, by your Spirit, prompted David to write, speak to us. Remind us 
awaken us to some things that we have forgotten about you. Your character, what you have done for us. Remind us who we are to you. What you have done for us. Remind us about how you're calling us to live in this life. So teach us by your word, by your spirit. We're listening. Our hearts are open to what you want to do within us as we look at your word. Amen. So read with me Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, and with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding. Who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. And you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works. Everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Have a seat. You see, the central purpose of this whole psalm is to not forget about God, to believe in God, to remember God, to trust in Him and what He's done and who He is. And so my purpose this morning is, is to move you, perhaps, that you've been forgetting to remembering about God, to move you from doubt, move you to faith, to move you from perhaps things that you have not believed right about God. To move you from unbelief to belief in God. And in all of this to remember who God is, who God is once again. And, and to move you to belief in three, three areas. To move you to believe that God is good. And second, that God has redeemed you. And third, that God loves you. That's what we find in this psalm that David wrote. First of all, Believe that God is good. 
You see, some of you here this morning, I'm certain, don't believe that God is good. Maybe he's good to other people, but he's not good to you. And at times we've all felt this in our lives, that that is God really good or is he not? See, some people might think that God set this world into motion. He just created it and then just let it go. And gravity and all of its natural laws that God established is just what's running this world. And God stands back and sits back and doesn't intervene at all in this world. And certainly doesn't intervene in your life because of the way that you have experienced life to be. You may not think that God is good. You might think that God is not good from what you see happening in the world. And because of what you see happening in the world, you then conclude, well, God must not be good. Or maybe because of what you have experienced in life. Perhaps loss, pain, grief, betrayal, whatever it might be, you look at your life and you say, well, how can God be good because of what I have experienced in my life? You come to this conclusion. It's into these thoughts that we all have at sometimes that God speaks these words to us. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits benefits, the good news, that God is good, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. While this whole psalm really could sum up that God is good because we see it through all of the verses, David gets very specific here and he lists the benefits of how God is good, the benefits to a life lived with God. And I don't think David's intent here was to have a comprehensive list, but he does give us some clarity, some specifics around how God has been good in what he's done. God forgives your sin. You see, we can feel guilt and shame and condemnation at times, but remember, God has forgiven you. God heals our diseases. God does heal. Just this past week on Wednesday, I heard a story of a lady who came to, uh, to this church to be prayed for, for healing and anointing with oil, right? Like the Bible tells us to in James. She came and her problem, her issue was that she had pain in her right knee, her leg. She had constant pain for a long period of time to the point that she could not extend her leg fully. So she came, she was prayed for by a group of people. A couple of days later, she phoned one of the ladies who prayed with her. She said, you know what? God's healed me. Completely no pain in her leg. She can extend her leg fully. God heals. God heals our diseases. And while we, yeah, thank you, God. And while we may receive temporary healing in this life, it's only temporary. Because we all know that at some point we will die. Some of us from a disease. We will not be healed from this disease in this life. But we know that God has made it possible that we will be healed at some point for all of eternity. We will have a new body, a new life with him. God heals. God redeems your life from the pit. And what David is getting at is we in this life don't need to live in despair. We don't need to live with a deep sadness that grips our hearts. Why? Because God loves us. 
you feel dishonored or put down with criticism, God honors you. He crowns you with love and compassion. He, he bestows upon you love. God satisfies your desires. One of the greatest desires that we have, every human being on the face of this earth, has a desire for significance, for meaning, for purpose in life. God satisfies our desires for purpose, for a mission in life. Are you discontent in life, filled with envy, jealousy? God satisfies you with the necessary things. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, at times it is hard to see how God is good because of the circumstances of our lives. However, faith in God, faith in who God is and what he has done calls us to rise up as people of faith to know and to remember and believe that God is good. He's always up to something good. One of the problems that we do have as humans, though, is we measure God's goodness based on our experience. What this looks like is this, is at times we put ourselves in the center of our lives, right? And we look around at the different aspects of our life and we think, well, I'm happy with that. That could be better. Boy, I wish this could happen over here. Wow, I I have that dream. Wow, I'm disappointed in this over here. And, And we look at our life, we just survey the landscape of our life, And because of how we see our life and our experiences, then we conclude that God is not good. And if that's the way you assess if God is good, you will always be disappointed. David in this psalm does the complete opposite. The complete opposite of that. He puts God in the center of his life. And he reflects and remembers who God is and what God has done and how God sees him. And he, he then says, based on that, I know that God is good. That's what David does here. That's what David is saying. Remember, God is good, not because of the circumstances of your life, but because who God is and what he has done. David's words cause us to rise higher in our faith, rise higher in our belief and trust in God. It's just a little thing that happened in our family's life last year in a very small way, but a significant way, reminded us that God is good. We, um, we went on a little bit of a vacation last year, and we went to the ocean. And while we were there, we thought, you know what, we're just going to try and practice surfing. We'd never done this before as a family, and we, <clears throat> we stumbled through all of that. But So one day we're in the ocean, and we're up in the, in the water about chest high, and we've got some massive boards that almost like plywood really to try and stand on and float on the waves and so we had our kids there and we're putting our kids on there and pushing our kids and and uh, my wife had a an underwater camera taking pictures of our vacation and all that and um so her the camera was on her arm with a little you know thing attached to it and my wife pushed one of our kids on the surfboard and the strap on the surfboard caught around the camera ripped the camera right off and it's gone in the ocean. And so we're disappointed and we have pictures on there and we're like, ah, we got to try and find this. And so, you know, with our kids, we, we just prayed and said, God, just help us to find this camera, you know? Um, so I got out of the ocean, went and got our snorkel gear and masks and stuff like that. And took a long time for me to do that, probably 15 minutes or so. And you know, it's difficult to stand still in the ocean. So I said, Nadine, just stand still if you can, <laughs> so we know where to look for this camera. When I got back, you know, we just, 
we had a general area to look for this camera, and it's just, you know, it's the ocean, this huge area right there. So I started looking for it. Looked for about 10 or 15 minutes and just thought, this is impossible. I can't. You know, the waves are churning up sand. Can't find it. It's like a needle in a haystack. So, so I was still was like, God, help us to find this, you know, camera. And I, I'm a persistent person. So I thought, you know what? What I'm going to do is just if I go into shore on my way back out into the ocean, I'll just have a mask on and swim out looking for it. Did that for probably a period of 25 or 30 minutes. Wouldn't you know it? One of the times when I'm swimming back out into the ocean, I look down and right there is this camera, about this big, right on the ocean floor. I'm almost out of breath and I just think, I'm not putting my head up because I might not be able to find it again. So I reach down, almost out of breath, grab the camera, you know, lift it up and we had a little family celebration because, you know what? I think maybe God did that just caused us to find that camera. And, and that little, you know, it's insignificant. It's a camera. You know, it's a camera. But in that little moment, in a small way, our family was reminded that God is good. And there are other much more significant ways that God is good in our lives. This psalm reminds us there are benefits to a life with God. God is good. That's the first thing this psalm reminds us about. Believe that God is good. And then second, believe that God has redeemed you. Believe that God has redeemed you. See, what I find these days is a lot of people feel like God is against them. That God is a vengeful God. God is a pessimistic God. God is just out to get them. God's looking over their shoulder. And you know what? If they make one little mistake, then God's just out to get them. And maybe, perhaps, you might feel that way about God. One of the things that we have done as a church the last three years or so that we've kept low profile, right? Not, not, we haven't talked a lot about this. Um, but one of the things that we've done is in the summertime, we have held a lunch a stampede barbecue for the businesses around this building, And we haven't let you all know about this because maybe you would show up, but this is just for businesses around this building. So it's it's a very hard date to find in our calendar. Um, But what we do is we go around and we invite the business people in a two-block radius of this place because, and when we go to invite them, we just say, hey, you know what, We, we work 100 meters, 200 meters from each other, and we never see each other. We're like neighbors that drive in here and leave and never cross paths, and we want to meet each other. We want to be good neighbors. We want to have conversation and dialogue. And, and we've done this to a certain point that some of the businesses that now are asking, hey, when's that barbecue? Because we love it, you know, because we, we get to meet each other, and they meet other business people around here. And uh, when people come, then we give them a tour of the building, and we have conversations about God and Christ. And you know what? Since we've been doing this almost every time, someone at that lunch places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, yeah, that's awesome. And um, so last year, when I was going out to invite some of these businesses, I, I was in one business place and a bunch of the staff were there inviting them all to come. And one of the guys in that business place said to his friend, he said, Boy, you better not show up. You better not go into that building because if you do, lightning is going to strike you dead. 
And, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's sort of how people view God, right? Not, not a God who redeems, but a God is out to get you if you do something bad. Somehow, you know, maybe we have this view that, that God is like that, that he's got a little tally system like Santa Claus, and if you're naughty, boy, you know, one day, bam, God's going to get you. Maybe you felt this way at times. That you feel because of something you've done that now you have to make up for it. Somehow you have to repay God. You're in his debt and you better fulfill that debt because if you don't, God will not approve of you. He won't love you. He won't be good to you and he certainly won't forgive you. And it's easy to get caught up into this way of thinking because this way of thinking is religion. It's religion. And although Christianity is termed a world religion, it is so different than every other world religion in existence. Because every other world religion says, do these things. Pray five times a day. Do this list. Make sure you do all of these things. And if you do all of these things, then there's the chance that you will have repaid your debt to God because of how you've acted. And that is not the Christian way at all. At all. And we can get, we can forget what God has done, that he's redeemed us, and we can move into this way of thinking and feel like, oh, you know what, I did that bad thing yesterday, or thought that, or shouldn't have done that, and boy, now I, I have to do good, I have to read my Bible more, I've got to come to church on May long weekend, you know, I've got to pray more, I've got to do all these things. We can get caught up into thinking that way, if we're not careful. And can you imagine a parent, like I just described, looking over your kids' shoulders all the time, oh, you messed up, and disciplining them? It'd be a terrible parent. A God like that would be a terrible God because you never know where you stand with that kind of God. See, we forget who God is, that he's redeemed us. This is what Ephesians 2 says. Say this with me if you know this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If our forgiveness came at our initiative and by our works, how many of us in this room would be boasters? Every single one of us. <laughs> we would. We'd be saying, well, look at what I did for God to approve of me or forgive me. We would all be boasting. God says, no, it's not like that. By grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. It's, the, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. David, in 103, Psalm 103, says it this way. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Believe, remember that God has redeemed you. And what I find sometimes is Christians live with the weight and the guilt and the shame of past sin. 
And it weighs heavy on them, on their conscience, and they feel guilty and ashamed, and they hang their heads and they walk around. They're not living their faith out with boldness because of the way they feel about what they've done. They're not courageous in their faith, in their relationship with God. And I see men and women, their, their past sin keeps them, keeps them from praying to God because of the guilt that they feel of what they've done in the past. It keeps some Christians from reading their Bible, it keeps some Christians from talking with their children about Jesus Christ, not, not even certainly keeps them from talking to others about their faith because they feel ashamed of what they've done in the past. They're not living free. They're not living as redeemed children of God. And Satan, we have to remember, is our accuser. And he will plant thoughts and lies in your head. You're not good enough to be a Christian. You're not good enough to serve. You're not good enough to do this. You're a bad example of what a Christian should be like. That is what Satan does. What ends up happening is we can move to forgetting about what God is, has done, who he is. And we can live a faith that is lifeless, that is powerless, that is lukewarm, that really isn't the life that Jesus died for us to live. Remember, God has redeemed you. Just a little illustration here. Got this little bottle, and I can take this little bottle to the bottle depot, and it can be redeemed. And I get 10 cents for it. You see, I take this bottle to the depot. It's in my possession. It's mine. I have possession and a hold of it. There's a transaction that takes place. I give it to the bottle depot person, and they redeem it from me for 10 cents. This bottle cannot redeem itself. It needs someone to redeem it. I get 10 cents for it. It goes to be put to its use. You see, at one point in our lives, we were enslaved to sin. We were separated from God. We had no power over our life on our own. Actually, Satan had power over us and the sin that was in us that, that just caused us to, to disobey God, to be rebellious towards God. Something needed to happen. Our lives needed to be redeemed. They needed to be bought back. They needed something to be done. We were powerless to do this on our own. But God in his great compassion and graciousness and mercy. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. But he is the one that made that transaction happen through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So we can be bought back. We can be redeemed. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far God has removed our sin from us. Imagine you're standing on Nose Hill. You're looking south over the city. On your left is the east, and you see the prairies out in the distance. You see the horizon way out there. Off to the west you look. You see the Rocky Mountains. If it's a clear day, you see the horizon out there. But how far is the east, is from, how far is the, east from the west? You see, it's not from the horizon to the horizon. The east goes past the horizon. How far does the east go? Someone yell out. How far does the east go? Forever. An infinite distance. Impossible to be measured. The west goes an infinite distance in that direction. The east and west never meet. 
So when God says he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, how far is that? An infinite distance. Never, never will they connect again. Your sin and you. So my question is, friends, why do we forget about God sometimes and live like our sin is still right there with us? Why do we live this way at times? Why do we feel ashamed and guilt? When God has said, I have done this great act that has removed your sin from you so far, it can't even be measured. It's not even with you anymore. If God has removed your sin from you, you are guilt-free, you're shame-free, you're condemnation-free. Don't forget that God has redeemed you. Don't forget that. And if you feel... If you feel shame or guilt or condemnation seeping into your heart, then look back at this verse and quote Psalm 103. Remind yourself in your emotions, in your heart, in your mind of the truth of who God is and what he's done. Remind yourself and say, self, no, my sin is gone from me and I do not need to feel this way and live free. See, we come to the end now of this psalm. First of all, we're reminded that God is good, that God has redeemed you. And last, we're reminded here that God loves you, that God loves you. This is what David says in Psalm 103. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. David's talking about you and I. We are mortals. What David is saying is we are temporary. We're temporary beings. But, David says, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. In these words, we're reminded that God loves you. Believe that God loves you. How long is everlasting to everlasting? It's (laughs) everlasting. It's forever. It's forever. It has no beginning. It has no ending. It's constant. What David is saying here, God's love is not temporary. It's not seasonal. It's not for just a period of your life. It is from everlasting to everlasting. God's love to those who fear him. And we get in trouble when we forget that God loves us. And that ha- this happens to all of us. We forget that God loves us. You see, a husband or wife who in their relationship do not know that they're loved, do not feel that they are loved, they're in trouble. People do a lot of crazy, all sorts of things to feel loved. And when we forget that we are loved by God, we do some crazy things. See, the reason that God tells us that he loves us, the reason that the creator God tells us that he loves us is so that we would know that we were made to be loved by him. 
We were made to experience his love. We were made to live in a relationship of love with God. That's why God continually tells us in scripture, I love you, I love you, I love you. You are loved by me. Humankind was created to find their fulfillment in God's love. And the love that God has for us is not a sappy, romanticized kind of love. It is completely different than that. His love for us is fierce, it's challenging, it's strong, it's gentle, it's merciful. It is certainly sacrificial. His love for us is giving and powerful and eternal and quiet. And at times his love for us is overwhelming and moves us to tears of joy and gratitude. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. See, God's love for you is everlasting. And the truth is that God will not forget about you. He will never forget about you. His love for you will never let him forget about you. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. He will never forget about you. But the truth is, sometimes we forget about God. As we've been talking about this morning. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. See, we forget about God. We go our own way. What does it feel like to be forgotten? Have any of you been forgotten someplace? <laughs> Maybe you left on a trip, someone, everybody leaves and you're forgotten. How does that feel? How does it feel to be ignored? How does it feel to not be listened to? How does it feel when others don't take an interest in your life? How does it feel perhaps if you had a, a, a coffee you know, appointment set up with a friend and they forgot to show up and you're there all alone. How does it feel to feel like a nobody? It feels terrible. How would you act towards someone who forgot about you consistently? On a regular basis, they just forgot about you. If you're like me, you'd probably say, well, if they forget about me, I'm forgetting about them. You know? Even though at times we forget about God, God's word reminds us that he will never forget about us. He will always love us. You never have to feel unloved. You never have to feel forgotten. And the validity of God's love, the proof, the evidence of God's love is shown to us in what it costs him to show his love towards us. You see, Jesus Christ was forgotten. Jesus Christ was forgotten so that you would never be forgotten. Jesus Christ was unloved so that you will always, from everlasting to everlasting, experience God's love for you. Jesus Christ cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forgotten about me? My God, my God, why have you... You're not showing me your love at this moment. Jesus Christ cried out, why have you forgotten me? You see, we will never be forgotten. 
God will always remember us. He will never forget about us because Jesus was forgotten in your place. In your place. The cost for God was so great that it's proof that God loves you. So we've come to the end now. Psalm 103 is all about saying, don't forget about God. As we've been talking, have, been, have there been some things that have been brought to your mind that you need to, to preach to yourself like David does in Psalm 103? Are there some things that you need to bring to the forefront of your mind again about God and who he is and what he's done? Maybe that, that God is good. Maybe you've been living with fear and anxiety about something, worry about something. Remind yourself, believe again that God is good. Have you been feeling shame or guilt or condemnation for something that you've done? Remind yourself again, based on the truth of God's word, you have been redeemed. If you confess your sin, he will forgive you. He'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. And walk away from that guilt and shame. Do you feel unloved? By people around you, perhaps even by God. Remember again that God loves you. Four times in this psalm, four times is God's strong love spoken about. Last night I prayed with a lady who felt unloved by her mom. Her mom had favorites and it was clear who her favorites were. She grew up feeling unloved and she said, Kent, thank you for reminding us this evening that I'm loved, that I'm loved. Remind yourself, God loves you. You're never forgotten. I'd like us to stand together for prayer. And as we pray, like we always do, if you'd like to just hold out your hands and we're gonna spend a few moments in silence reflecting on what God by his spirit has been saying to us. So, Father, we hold out our hands as a visible sign that we want to receive from you. Truth, encouragement, correction. What it is that you want to say to us. Speak, Holy Spirit, we're listening. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks wisdom and counsel, speaks truth into our hearts. Help us to be obedient. Help us not to forget what you've just prompt, been prompting with us in our hearts uh, this morning. Father, with these words of Psalm 103, we are in awe of who you are and what you've done. And we praise you and we worship you and we lift your name high. 
Father, be in the preeminent place in our lives, in our soul. You are our God. There's no one higher than you. And we love that we can be your children, that we can live under your provision, under your leadership, under your rule, under your reign. That's where we want to be. Help us to live as your children, not forgetting what you have done for us. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to be reminded that they are forgiven, Father, impress that upon their hearts by your Spirit. God, convince those who are doubtful about your goodness that you are good you're good, that you care, that you're present. God, for those who feel unloved, may you, by your Spirit, bring love, compassion into hearts. Father, help us to live this week in the passionate, bold, contagious faith and life that you paid for us to be able to live. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.